Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. At any time during the message today, we are in a series called The Daniel Dilemma, and uh, this series is actually based on a book by one of my favorite pastors. His name is Chris Hodges, and uh, I love this book, and I want to encourage you that, that uh, you know, I get to do four weeks on this. We're in week two of it. Um, but this book goes way deeper than I get to go and uh, has a lot more great content in it that I would encourage you to get the book and to do that. I just I love providing resources for you to be able to take a deeper dive in your spiritual walk and understanding God's Word, and that book will certainly do that. And uh, this week's message actually is going to be a little deeper for those of you that like that. If you don't like deeper stuff, come back next week. It'll be fun. We'll, we'll go back to what we normally do. But, but uh, let me just kind of pick you up on where we're at we're studying the book of Daniel, and uh, the book of Daniel has a bit of history and a bit of prophecy. In other words, it's talking about the future in it. Uh, and, uh, and Daniel's story essentially is that the king of Babylon has laid siege to his country, and everybody in his country has been exiled to Babylon. And there they are living in their slaves in a pagan or godless culture. And while Daniel and his friends are there, they have the ability in the face of this godless culture, to stand firm and love well, and as a result of that, ultimately have an influence on the culture and the world around them. And I think that's really important. Because today, I think we Christians live a little different than, than Daniel did. I think we respond differently to culture and the way that the world is today. I think that, for, by and large, for the most part, we understand God's word and we stand firm on that, but as a result of standing firm on that, we get in lots of arguments with people, and we beat people over the head with God's word, and ultimately we become ineffective. Or the flip side of that is we water down God's word, <clears throat> and we try to change it to make it fit everybody's different lifestyle, telling them that it's more loving than God's word and his truth is in the first place, and, and, and so in the name of accepting them and making them feel comfortable. And I don't think either of these are the right responses. I believe that today, in this godless culture that we live in, that we can stand firm on God's word. We can know what it says, but we also don't have to beat people over the head with it. We can love well. And if we're willing to do that, we can be influencers like Daniel in today's culture. And the book of Daniel gives us this playbook. It shows us exactly how he did it, and I think it's very beneficial for us today. So today, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start with a thought. And uh, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Here it is. We'll either set the culture around us or we're going to reflect the culture around us. In other words, you are either a thermostat or you're a thermometer. A thermostat sets the temperature in the room. A thermometer just reflects the temperature in the room. It tells you what the temperature is. And I believe that as Christ followers, God has called us to be a thermostat, to actually set the temperature in the room, to set the cultures that we enter into, to be influencers of that. In fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us to let your light shine before men so they can see your good works and glorify God. He goes on to tell us to be salt 
and light, that our opportunities, our call in this world is to be in it and make things taste better and look better, be brighter. That's what we're supposed to do. Salt and light, that's what we do. Those are influencers into our culture. We are called to do those things and to make an impact today. And that's important that you know that. Because a lot of us, I think too oftentimes, we become Christians and we feel safe here in these walls. We feel safe here to praise God, to talk about God. But when we step outside of these walls, we've left him at the, in, inside the church building. We, we want to have all our Bible studies and all our events here. But this is not the church. You are the church. And we aren't supposed to be bound by these walls. We aren't supposed to be isolated away from the world. In fact, Jesus prayed this for his disciples, his followers. He says in John 17, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, so that they can walk among the world, so they can be salt and light, making a difference in the culture. But God, protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. And this is my goal for you today. I want you to know you need to be out there among people being salt and light, but I'm going to help you protect yourself from the evil one today. I'm going to expose some of his tactics, some of the things that he does. So you can understand how we can live in it, but not be part of culture and be influencers. Now, my goal is to expose the biggest uh, culprit of ungodlessness and sin in our culture today. And this, this particular root is found in a mentality. We're going to call it the Babylon mentality. Now, Babylon is talked about in the Bible, and it was an actual country and a city. And, uh, and Babylon, uh, it, it, the king of Babylon is the one who came and captured the Israelites and took them into exile. And there was this huge Babylonian empire, all right? So Babylon was, was a locality. Today, modern day, it would be found in Iraq. But the Babylon mentality is not, is not a place. It's a mindset. It's a spirit that existed from the very beginning of time all the way in the beginning of your Bible, actually, all the way to the end of your Bible. And it's still around influencing us today. And my goal is to help you see that this mentality exists and that the enemy is trying to destroy you through this mentality. Because if I can help you understand his ways... If I can help you see how he operates, then you won't get caught up in it. And even if you do, you'll be able to recognize, like, holy cow, I'm in the middle of this trap, and I need to step out of it. I need to walk away from this thing so you can become aware. Because Satan's biggest lie that he tells us, he started telling in the Garden of Eden, Eden all the way at the beginning. And it starts with Satan questioning God and elevating man. Satan's lie was this. He told Eve, I'm all about you, and God is all about himself. He said, Eve, I'm all about you. I'm all about what you want. I mean, don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to know what he knows? Like, I mean, I'm all about what you want. I'm all about what feels good. I mean, if it feels good to you, it can't be that bad, right? If it makes you happy, I'm all about you. But God, he ain't about you. He's all about himself. And so this is the lie that he tells us. If you turn a few more pages in your Bible from, that's the book of Genesis, right? We're in the book of Genesis. We find the story of the Garden of Eden. A few more pages still in Genesis, in chapter 11, we find a story of the Tower of Babel. 
The people of this day were in so much unison, so much harmony, that they together said, there's nothing, there's nothing that we can't do. And so they decided to build a tower called the Tower of Babel. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven. So that, watch this, so that we may make a name for, not for God, for ourselves. Not look what God has done through us, in us, for us, but look what we've done. Some mentality. So we don't need God. We got this. Satan's for us, and I'm, I'm for me too. That God, I need you, but I'll, I'll let you know when I need you. You go ahead and stay over there in that little box. We understand that you exist, but you stay there on Sunday. We'll call you. But Satan knows that all he has to do to win is just get you to start promoting yourself, to get you to elevate yourself. Because a few verses later, watch what happens. This mindset sets in of we're going to do this for ourselves. Look what we have done. We're going to do this for ourselves. God responds and absolutely resists this kind of mindset, and he confuses all of their language. They all spoke the same language. I loved this story as a kid when I was in Sunday school, and they started talking about it, and one person starts talking Spanish, and the other person starts talking French, and they're asking for a hammer, and the other person don't understand it. Like, this is one of my favorite stories. I was like, yeah, that's cool, man. You know, God just confused their languages. And all of a sudden, they couldn't, they couldn't build the tower anymore because nobody understood each other. And the verse says, that's why it was called Babel. Verse 9, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. That's where that word babble, or where we get the word confusion. It comes from the word babble. It means confused. And it's this Babylonian mindset and mentality. It's a mentality of confusion. It's deranged way of thinking. And if you follow any way other than God's way, you do things your own way, you will introduce this kind of thinking, this confused, deranged thinking. Now, you don't need me to stand up here on a stage and tell you that. You can see that in the world all around you. You can see symptoms of this all around you. I mean, we have people show up in venues and just mow down people with guns nowadays, walking into schools. It's deranged, but it's just a symptom of this particular route, this mindset that exists. And it's in your Bible all the way from the very beginning and all the way to the end, this Babylonian mentality. And you, you've probably felt it in your life. You've felt it in your relationships, in your emotions, this confusion, this derangement that sets in. But you'll find it here at the end of your Bible. If you flip to the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, specifically chapters 17 and 18, these two chapters deal with God's wrath on Babylon and this mentality it says this in uh, chapter 17, verse 5. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and, the, uh, and of the abominations of the earth. In other words, everything that's ungodly has its root in this mentality. And I'm just trying to show it to you in your Bible. It starts in, your, in the beginning of your Bible. It ends your Bible. And if you flip to the middle of your Bible, you go to Isaiah in chapter 47, you'll find it there too. What are they talking about? Babylon. They're talking about Babylon. In fact, the title of chapter 47 is the fall of Babylon. And it says this in verse 8 through 10. It says, now then, listen, you lover of pleasure. You just love what feels good. Doesn't matter what God said about it. You like what feels good. Well, well if, it, if it makes me happy, it can't be bad. I like it. 
We're lounging in your security. Or you can say, since it's your security, your self-security. Your security, well, I don't need God. It's a mentality. And saying to yourself, watch this, I am, and there's none besides me. Now, I need you to be careful here when you start seeing stuff like this. Because this phrase right here, this I am, and there's no one besides me. When people start saying that or their attitude reflects that, you need to understand that this is literally what God said about himself. In the book of Exodus, his, he, Moses said, I'm going to go to Pharaoh and, you, and tell him, you said let his people go, but who am I supposed to say you sent me? He said, I am. I am. I'm, I'm the one who sent you. I am. My name is I am. And he said, there's no one besides me. And so when we see people putting themselves in the place of God, this is a dangerous position. They have exalted themselves. The verse continues on, the people talking about themselves, I'll never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. They're so sure of themselves. But Isaiah retorts back and says, both of these will overtake you in a moment, on a single day, loss of children and widowhood. They'll come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. In fact, in spite of everything you've done, in spite of all your efforts, this is still going to happen to you. In, in, in spite of all your hedge funds and your trust funds that you've got to protect you from everything bad that can happen, guess what? In spite of how many cameras you've got on your house, the thief's still going to break in and get what he wants. Are you all hearing me? He said, it doesn't matter what you, you're not doing things God's way. It's coming. He says, your wisdom and knowledge misled you when you say to yourself, I am. And there is none beside me. You all can see this attitude in our world today, right? We live in a selfie generation. Everything is about me. It's all about me. I'm going to take pictures of, not you, me. We've got phones that had cameras on the back. Now we've got phones with the cameras on the front. You know why? Because I want to see me. I was at a wedding last night. And it's beautiful. People dancing, having a good time, talking with each other. And at every single one of the tables, you'd see people with their phones. And you know what they're doing? They're taking pictures of me. <laughs> they got filters. And they're making That's my favorite one. You can tell somebody on Snapchat because they're over there making faces, and then they do this. Because they want to see what happens. And they don't know everybody's watching them. They're focused on one thing and one thing alone, me. That's right. We live in a selfie generation. Everything's about me. And that's Babylon's motto, motto, by the way. I am, and there's no one besides me. I don't know if you've seen this play out, too. I mean, I'm picking on the phones. Like, I like, I like the technology, and I'm fine with social media. I have some, too. But, but understand that, that, that it's like you own it. Don't let it own you kind of thing. Can I just say that a little bit? <clears throat> but you'll see people lost in their phones, and this is one of the most frustrating things for me. Like, like when I'm in a big crowd of people, I just want to get where I'm supposed to go, so I'm not in the crowd of people no more, right? Like, I just don't like that. I'm a big guy, and I just don't, I don't, I don't like. But, but the people that are on their phones, y'all know what I'm talking about. You, you teenagers walking down the halls at school, I don't know how you got any movement, My, my kids can't seem to go like five seconds without snapping something. And y'all do this all day long. 
And it's like you can't even see what's ahead of you. And you don't care because it's all about me. Now, I'm coming down on you. I'm just saying it's, it's, how, it's our world that we're in. It, it, it's our world. But the biggest trick that Satan has is to get us to start buying into our own brand. To believe that it really is all about me. That you don't need God. And because you don't need God, you don't need his ways. So you start walking your own way. You start doing your own thing. You start following your own path. And to make your, you self-focused is the goal. That's that Babylon mentality. It's all about me. And so he wants, to, wants you to elevate yourself. To elevate yourself. There's nobody beside me. There's nobody more important than me. There ain't nobody else walking down this hallway that needs to get to class. There ain't nobody driving on this road. I don't need to... I don't need to wait to text until I park. I can go ahead and do this while I'm driving now. I'm not going to hit anybody or run a red light or anything like that. It's all about me. Uh-oh, did I just go in your world? I apologize. And when we elevate self and it becomes all about us, the first thing we do is we become self-adoring. We become self-adoring. Look at me. Listen to me. I'm important. Me. We become self-building. We say, well, I can do it without God. I can, I, I'll go to church on Sunday, but I'm going to relegate God to that building that we go to on Sunday morning, and God, I'll call you when I need you, or I'll call you when some planes start crashing into some buildings, or I'll call you when I'm scared, or I'll call you when my, when my finances tank, or I'll call you when my, when my marriage is a mess, or I'll call you when my kids are, are, are running amok in the community and in our homes, or, or I'll, I'll call you when, when I lose a loved one. I'll, I'll, I'll call you then. I got this on my own. And the next thing he leads us to do is become self-indulging. We do what we want when we want. If it feels good, we do it. You say, well, there's the, the, how could it be a loving God if I love it, if I feel this way, if I want to live this way, how could he be a loving God? Here's the thing. This Babylon mentality will elevate you above God, but that's not all it does. It tries to get you to lower God. It tries to get you to make God less than he is, to make his word have less value. Well, that God's nice, but he's just a choice. That's just one way. Mm-hmm. Try to get you to believe that, that, that God doesn't love you. That's the first thing he, he'll, enemy will try to get you to do, to believe that God doesn't love you, that, that he doesn't truly care about you. And let me tell you something, that's wrong. God loves you so much that if he had a refrigerator, your picture would be hanging on it. I really believe that. God's not mad at you. He knows what you did last night, and he still loves you. He loves you. But the first lie of the enemy when he tries to get you to lower God is that he doesn't love you. The second thing he tries to get you to believe is that God isn't for you. Well, God's not for me. He's, he's old. It's old-fashioned. It's outdated. How could it possibly be for me today in my world? And so I'm not going to follow his ways, but I'm going to tell you, God's ways are the best ways for you. They are, the, they are the only ways that lead to life. It's in his truth that you find freedom. It's in his truth that you find peace and sanity and clarity. Whereas when we do things our own way, this Babylon mentality, we introduce confusion to our lives. 
So God isn't for me. Or, or he wants us to believe that God wants too much from me. That, well, I mean, I should be able to love who I want to love, and God shouldn't stop me from doing that. I should be able to do what I want to do. I should be able to feel what I want to feel, say what I want to say. I, I should be able to do, I, should, I have rights, because it's all about me and not you. So you, what you have to say doesn't matter. We lower. We lower God. But I'm going to tell you, if you feel like it costs too much to follow Jesus, I think the only reasonable response when you truly understand how much God loves you is full-on surrender. Because when you meet somebody who loves you that much, it, it, it changes you. It changes you. When you collide with his grace, when you experience his love and you understand the price that he paid, it changes everything. And the only reasonable response is to surrender your, your life, to surrender all of yourself to him. Say, how could I do anything but love you in return? This is the Babylon mentality, to elevate self and lower God. And any of us in this room are susceptible to it. That includes me. Now, there's a story in Daniel that shows this clearly, and I'll, I'll move through it quickly. I'm not going to read it all to you, but the, in the book of Daniel, it's mainly Daniel writing, but in chapter 4, it's actually King Nebuchadnezzar because he has an encounter with God that is actually pretty transformative. Chapter 4, verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Look at me. Look at me. I'm content. I got lots of stuff. I got an empire. I got people that do all the things for me. Look at me. I'm content. <coughs> and I'm prosperous. He's admiring himself. Look at all that I've done. Now, the rest of the chapter has King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. And in this dream, it was a very vivid dream about a tree. And you can read it for yourself in chapter 4. But at the end of the dream, the, the tree gets cut down. It's a big, big tree that's flourishing and providing for the city and people. And the tree gets cut down and only a stump is left. And he, the king wakes up and he remembers all of it. And he shares it with his magicians and his counselors. And he's trying to figure out what it means. And none of them can tell him. But they remember... Daniel. They call Daniel, and he serves a different God than all the ones we serve. So Daniel comes in, and Daniel knows what the interpretation is. And it could have cost Daniel his life, and yet he went ahead and told him. He said, you, O king, are that tree. Verse 22. He let him know, you're, you're the tree. You're getting ready to be cut down. He said, you'll be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Like, are you listening to this? This is the closest account we actually have to a werewolf ever. <laughs> As that a human being would be deranged and insane and go out and live with the animals. The Bible gives a description of him that his nails would grow long and that he would, his hair would grow wild. That he would look and eat like an animal. He says, you'll be driven away. He says seven times, which, by the way, when you see Daniel say seven times, anytime he says times, he's talking about years. He says, seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And then he speaks about that stump. He says, the command to leave the stump, which, by the way, this is God's grace, and I love it on display. He says, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you 
Not if you keep doing your own thing. But when you acknowledge that heaven rules. I love that God in his grace always leaves a stump. That no matter how far you walked away from God, you are closer than you've ever been before because all you got to do is turn around. And God's waiting to restore you. To restore you. As the story goes, the king didn't listen. He didn't acknowledge what Daniel had to say. He didn't acknowledge what God had to say. And he continued in this Babylonian mentality where everything was about him. And one day, he was in the gardens, the hanging gardens of Babylon, which is, which is a wonder of, of the ancient times. And he's out there and he says, look at all this. I made all this happen. I did all this. Here, look at this. Y'all see this? And then the Bible says that that's the moment that he went insane. That he became deranged and went out to the fields. Seven years. Seven years this man wandered the hills. His sanity gone. But at the end of the seven years, and it says at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. And my sanity was restored. In other words, his confusion was gone. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. You notice he's not using the word me or mine or my. He's not pointing to anything of himself. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. This is a different Nebuchadnezzar. He said he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand and say, or say to him, what have you done? All that, all the, all, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. See, I don't even think God's got a problem with you having honor and glory here on this earth. I just think he wants you to point it at him. Oh, I'll get a better amen later. That's all right. Don't understand. He said, my advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. He said, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Pride, there it is. That's the Babylonian mentality. It is pride. And the Bible says that God resists those who are filled with pride. Now, here's what I'm going to do in the last few minutes that I've got remaining. This Babylonian mentality will take you out unless you know how to defeat it. And I'm going to give you three declarations, three things that you can do, that you can, statements you can make, and then do them that will keep you safe in an ungodly culture, that will allow you to survive it if you'll do them. Number one, here it is, I will exalt God. I will exalt God. God. Now, not just on Sunday and not just at church, that we will choose to exalt God with our entire lives. You see, what does exalting God mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. Around this time of year, we start to understand what it means clearly. Because you and I and over 100,000 of our friends gather into this space that is shaped like a horseshoe and there's lots of people that join us via television and internet, and they watch us all over the place as we cheer and yell something like this, O-H. Yeah, see, we do that. We understand how to exalt. We clap. We shout. We jump up and down. We wave, lift our hands. We sing. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. We cheering for the Buckeyes. Or maybe your favorite team, whichever one it may be. 
But we exalt them. We, we get excited for them. And you do that for your favorite team, and everybody calls you a fan. You come here, and you worship the God of the universe in that way, and all of a sudden you're a fanatic. Something wrong with you, you holy roller you. They got labels for you if you do it in a church. Some of y'all are like, oh, it's just a little uncomfortable to do it here. Listen, was it uncomfortable to remove your shirt and paint your belly yesterday? <laughs> I dare one of y'all to do that in here on a Sunday morning. You know, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you, Eller. <laughs> oh, next Sunday's going to be awesome. Seriously, we, we exalt a team that does not know our name, let alone has ever done anything for us or died for our sins or provided anything for us. And yet, we sit on our hands on a Sunday morning. See, I'm looking for a church that wants to be like, the, like what Psalms describe, people that will clap their hands, people that will shout, people that will lift up God's name, people that will sing. People that are willing to lift their hands, whether it starts out here or it ends right here. I don't care that, that we worship God in the way that he chooses for us to worship him. That we would exalt his name. David said this, Psalm 145, I will exalt you, my God, the king. I'll praise your name forever and ever. We can't exalt ourselves. We must exalt God. Second thing. Say, I'll, I'll not only exalt God, but I'll acknowledge God. This one's important. This one's important because Nebuchadnezzar did this, and we need to do this in every part of our life. Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged that God was God and that he wasn't, that his ways were right and his ways were wrong, that God's ways are right. He said, he's just. Besides all that, everything's in his hands. How can I question him? Even if he says something I don't like, I don't have to like everything he says, but he's God and he's right. Amen. That's where we're at. And we need to choose to do that with our lives. When culture says God is wrong, he ain't. Culture's wrong. God's right. When our feelings say, but this feels good, it probably does, but it doesn't mean God is wrong. He's right. His ways are best. His, his ways are right. For me, I want to acknowledge, not that just that, that I want to acknowledge that God is right, that his word is true. And I'm determined to do that no matter what culture says. That when it flies in, the, in their faces and they tell me that's unloving, I say, I understand, but I didn't write it. And I'm going to go ahead and stand firm on it because I can't change it. There's nothing, I don't like it either, but I didn't write those words. I'm just supposed to tell you what they say, and I'm going to stand firm on them. Even if they become illegal, I'm going to jail because I'm going to stand firm on them. Are you only listening to me this morning? I'm just telling you. You think that's not coming? It's coming. There's a day. It's here. They're already calling God's word unloving. We acknowledge God, I, I would tell you what, I'll acknowledge something. I don't belong here on this stage. There, I do not have a pattern in my life that has led me like logically to this point. Some of y'all think I'm perfect, that I maybe grew up, grew up in a perfect home, that I was raised to be a pastor. No, no. And I regularly ask God, are you sure you, you did this right? Are you sure? Me, I'm the guy. 
Before I did this, and even this past week, you can ask my wife and one of my team members, I was like, I'm just not sure. I'm not really sure he picked the right guy. There's, there's people better looking than me. There's people more talented than me. There's people that could probably do this way better. And if God brings them here and he says they're going to do it, I'm going to step aside. Some of you are like, really? I'll get, I'll get up there and do that. You don't want this. <laughs> I, I'm just, I, I, I'm not talented enough. I regularly feel like I'm not good enough for this role. Because I'm not. I need him. I need his wisdom. I need his strength. I need his guidance. I can't do this. It's probably why he picked me. You'll see he does that all throughout the Bible. He picks people that are underqualified, don't have the training, don't have the resources, don't have the money. He picks those people because they got to trust him more. Thanks for the honor. (laughs) We all should be saying that. I mean that, though. Thanks for picking me. Hmm. But I not only acknowledge that, I don't, that, 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 that God's got me, that I need him, I acknowledge him in my finances. There's lots of ways to do this. So how do you do that? Well, I give God the first of everything. That, that first 10%, it's called the tithe. So yeah, Aaron, we understand that. God, God says that belongs to him, and, and that's easy to do. No, that's not easy to do. But you know what's not even easier to do? Is acknowledging that it's all his anyway. I got a verse tattooed on my wrist. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Yeah, I just had to look. It's cool. I've only had it for six or seven years. And it says that I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. He paid a price for me. I belong to him. All of who I am, all of my money, my family, everything he's given me. I'm just a steward. It's all his. So not just that 10%. All my money belongs to him. And whatever he tells me to do with it, I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to trust him. Oh, you guys didn't like that because I touched your money. I understand that. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. I'll help you with that, all right? See, so what day is that on, Pastor? I might be <coughs> a little thick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Acknowledge God. Acknowledge that we belong to him. All of it, everything belongs to him. Everything you have, everything that you are, everything that you do is because he gave it to you. Amen, everybody? And if you'll do this, if you'll exalt him, if you'll acknowledge him, the main culture can't touch you. You're dead man walking, right? I belong to him. Watch what Paul said. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if, you, if all you have is from God, why act as though you've accomplished anything on your own? Everything you have and are is from God. So exalt God, acknowledge God, and the last one, and this one's an important one, is humble. I will humble myself. I will humble myself. You know, humility is coming, right? Humility is coming. If you don't choose to humble yourself, humility is coming. Those who refuse to acknowledge God in this day and age, the Bible says that there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't want to do it here in this day and time? That's cool. You will. There is a day coming. Day is coming. And you can choose in this lifetime to humble yourself, to live humbly, or humiliation is coming. And you don't want humiliation. I'm not just talking about the the final judgment day. I'm talking about in this life as well. That if everything is about you, that Babylonian mentality, that mentality that leads you into confusion and derangement, that brings so many problems into your life, that pride. Humiliation is coming. 
And you do not want that. That's why it's better to choose to humble yourself before the Lord. In fact, if you'll do that, James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. He even promises you something better if you do it. You want him to lift you up. You want him to put you on, on a pedestal because he's going to put you where you actually belong. He's going to put you where only he can keep you. And it's a good thing when God's keeping you in that place. Amen, everybody? Humble yourself. Say, so what is humility, Aaron? Well, humility does, isn't thinking less of yourself. Like thinking, well, woe is me, I can't do it, I'm a mess up. No, no, don't think less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. There's a difference. It's a small shift. There's a sentence structure there, but it makes a big difference. Thinking of yourself less. Considering others. Acknowledging God and exalting Him. It's humility. One of the greatest ways that we can demonstrate humility to God on a regular basis is through prayer. Where we humbly come before God and say, I need you. Everything you've given me, everything I have is because you've given it to me. I got nothing on my own. I need you in my life. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need your spirit. I don't got this. It's humbly coming before him and saying, I give you everything I got today. And know that I'm a mess. But I know you can use this mess to do something great with it. So do what you do. And I'll do what I can do. It's coming before him humbly. That leads us to being lifted up before him. He'll set you on that rock to stand where you can stand firm and love well. You'll have your peace and your sanity restored to you because you've exalted God, you acknowledge his ways, and you choose to humble yourself. If you want to know how to do it, do, standing strong in a pride-inflated culture begins face down. It begins face down in prayer. And God, I need you. I'm seeking after you. Some of you say, oh, I don't know how to pray, Aaron. This might be my last little thing I'll share with you. I, I don't know how to pray. I mean, I know how to say, God, help. You teach me how to do that? Yeah. Last Sunday of every month, we have prayer at 6 o'clock here. The band's here. We're here. It's a beautiful time of prayer. You don't have to know how to pray to join us. We'll help you. We've got prayer guides at the Connect Center you can pick up today that'll help you walk through how to pray on your own. But come and join us on a Sunday evening. Stop making excuses about why you can't do what God is leading you to do. We'll exalt Him. We'll acknowledge Him. And we'll come before Him humbly in prayer. If you'll do these things, you'll survive every bit of ungodly culture in the world today. Let's pray. Father, today... We just repent of our pride. Forgive us. Lord, forgive us for exalting ourselves. Forgive us for making everything about us. And forgive us for lowering who you are. 
for not remembering that you're great and greatly to be praised, that your ways are just, your ways are right, that you're good, that our lives are in your hand anyway. Forgive us. And God, today I pray that you would help us to be bold in our exaltation of you. Not just here in this space, in this place. I'm not looking for people to be crazy and just, I just want them to exalt you, to lift you up. But not just even here on Sunday. To exalt you as we're driving down the road. That we would turn off the trash radio. That we would turn on some worship. That we would exalt you throughout the day. We would begin and end our day the same way. Exalting you. God, help us to understand how to acknowledge you in every area of our lives. To place you first. To make you the priority relationship in every way. And then God, as we come before you, humbly in prayer, meet us there. Let us experience your peace. Let sanity come back to our marriages, to our relationships, to our home life, to our emotions that are out of control, to our thought life and our self-talk. Let, let sanity be restored as we just humbly submit to you. Meet us in that time of prayer. Let it be precious to us. Now, there are those of you in this room that your first and next step is is just beginning a relationship with God. I just want to tell you, if, if you don't know what sin is, sin is doing things your own way. Salvation is doing things God's way. And right now I'm going to give an opportunity for you to, to, to flip the script of your story. Your story's been going a certain way so far. You've been writing the, the pages. But God has a story he wants to write with your life. And it starts right now. With you saying, God, I'm going to submit to your ways. I'm going to live life your ways. They're better for me. I'm ready to, for the confusion to be gone, sanity to be restored. I'm ready. And I'm ready to give the pen to you so you can write the rest of my story. So you can take my mess and make it my message. So you can use my life for your own purposes. And God, while you're at it, help me with my own life. If you're ready to do that, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. If you'd like to be Included on that prayer, we're all going to pray it together, but you, this is your moment to say, Aaron, I'm, I, I, want, I want to pray that prayer for me. I'm, I'm going to pray it and mean it. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you, if that's you, would you just slip up your hand right now and say, Aaron, that's me today. I'm going to do that. I'm making that commitment. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Church, can we all pray together? Just acknowledge God. Jesus I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me for doing things my own way. Teach me your ways. Make me brand new. Jesus, today, I make you Lord. Amen. Now, this is written in God's word, so it means it's absolutely true. Those of you that raised your hands today, heaven's literally having a party and celebrating your decision. And I want, I want you to know that you were just few of the five or six that said yes today. From first service to today, and I just want to celebrate that with you. Come on, Simple Church.
Can we celebrate their decision? Now listen, if you made that commitment today, I just want to encourage you. Your next steps, biblically, the way the Bible lays it out, is something called baptism. And if you made that commitment today, here's my, here's my request. Stay committed to the process. Stay committed to your next steps. Pull out the connection card that's in the seat in front of you. Mark it down. Say, hey, I said yes to Jesus today. But also mark that one that says, I want to get baptized. Even if you don't know what that means yet. If you mark that, our Next Steps team will reach out to you and explain what that is. It's basically a public confession of your prayer of faith made today. And we'll give you an opportunity to get baptized the next time we, get bapt- we do baptisms, which is the first Sunday of every month. And then mark that spot, hey, I want some more information on getting involved. That's called Growth Track. Growth Track is our way to help you understand your next steps as a believer so you understand God's plan and His purpose for your life. Because I know that Bible's a big old book, and I know you have no idea where to begin. And we want to help you with that spiritual journey. Amen, everybody? So if you made that commitment today, say, hey, I want to get baptized. I'm ready for my next steps. Help me figure that out, and we'll do just that, all right? All right. Well, as we wrap up service today, I just want to make you aware. Uh, we, we will take up an offering today, but you do that on your way out, or you can give through these, these online ways of giving. That text to give is, is pretty awesome. I love to do that. But you can use our app or our website. A lot of people choose to do that today, but there's also a give box in the back of the room, and if you're filling out a Connect card as a regular attender here, you can drop that in the give box uh, with prayer requests or whatever it is you may need today, and our team will pray for you and reach out and contact you with whatever you need. Uh, But uh, we thank you for your faithful giving. It allows us to continue to do incredible things here and reach people that are far from God. So let me pray for you, uh, and then we will dismiss. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be people here right at our altar to pray with you today and to love you. Father, thank you so much for your word that challenges us and your goodness that leads us to repentance, God. We just love and value you so much, and we thank you for how much you love and value us. Today, Lord, go with us as we take this word rejoicing jubilantly over six people that said yes to Jesus today. Lord, we ask that you would bless this offering as we receive it. Help us to reach more people that are far from you with every dollar. And everybody here said, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you back.